0: I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's Word once again. There's a lot of things, a lot of resources out there. One of the greatest resources that we have is, is the beauty of the Word of God, how the Word of God speaks to us. And that's what I want to do this morning is I want to speak to us from the Word of God. I'm grateful to everyone who had an opportunity to go to camp and to come back from camp and to be a part of summer camp. Um, I don't take those things for granted, whether it be VBS, you know, the past year has been really, really difficult because we've been limited as to things that we've been able to do, and And this year we had um, a VBS, and I can't tell you how um, important it was for us to be able to have VBS and get back in the lives of young families, the lives of children, to be able to uh, teach them about the Word of God, to um, reconnect with them, and um, th- this past week to be able to go to summer camp and to invest in our young people, to invest in their lives, to to give of ourselves for a greater good so that they might grow in their faith and their trust in Jesus. And and I say that based upon a conversation that I had on on Tuesday with one of the young people. We were sitting there at lunch, and um, we were talking about, they began to talk about their spiritual growth and how they had grown as a Christian. And they talked about the people that God had used in their life, parents, grandparents, and family and friends who had helped this young person who was probably not quite a senior yet, but had developed um, all of these, these resources in which they grew in their faith because of these people involved in their lives. But then she went on to make this comment that, but there were also other people who were a part of her life, who helped her grow in her relationship, who fostered her spiritual growth with Jesus. And then she began to name names, names that I was familiar with, people who were involved in VBS. Uh, People who were involved in summer camps, people who were involved in in teaching her the word of God. She talked about coming to faith at the age of five and remembering specifically who it was they had an opportunity to be with and to pray with. Other people who had come a long time uh, alongside of her children and minister. All these people who had come alongside of her to help her grow in her faith with Jesus. And there's no doubt as I talked with her and I knew about her life, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt she was living for Jesus, and that Jesus was the preeminent one in her life. A guy by the name of John, who was a close friend of Jesus, he was part of Jesus' inner circle. He wrote these words years after Jesus' resurrection. He says this, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to know that we as God's people are embracing God's truth and walking according to the truth that he's given to us. I have no greater joy than to know that people are responding to the word of God and who he is and what he's done in our lives. The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17. And I think it's applicable to what she was talking about and applicable to summer camp and to hopefully why we're here today. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In other, words, in other words, it's important for us to have people in our lives who can come alongside of us, who can help us, who can shape us, who can mold us, who can strike us in a healthy way so that we ultimately become more like the person of Jesus Christ. And John says, listen, I have no greater way, joy than to know that people are helping me grow in my faith. And one of the primary ways that God helps us to grow through the lives of other people. Do you have people in your life surrounding you, helping you to grow in the complexities of life? This morning in the book of Colossians, we're, gonna, we're getting closer to ending this, this wonderful letter. And, and, and this letter is the guy by the name of Paul. If you don't know, the guy by the name of Paul, he's in a prison in Rome, and he's writing to a church. He's writing to people who are over 1,000 miles away, and they're in the city of Colossae. And, and as he gets ready to, to end this letter, he's going to wrap it up. And what he's doing in this letter is this. He's saying, listen, I, I, I want to I commend you as a church, people of Colossae. You are embracing the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are encouraging one another. You are taking the message of Jesus out beyond your little groups, and you are going out even to other cities and taking the message of Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to commend you for who you are and what you've done. He's commending them for their faith and the way that they've grown, how they love the saints and how they love fellow believers. And as we get to the end of this letter, I think we see the heart of a pastor, the heart of a shepherd. His heart has been affected by the report that he's heard from uh, the people of Colossae and how they're living for Jesus and how they're serving Jesus and how they're they're loving Jesus. And rather than listing just a bunch of names, as we're going to see here, we get insight into the beauty of what the church is all about. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Let me read this text to you, and let me remind us this morning of the beauty of God's church and how he wants us to work. Hear the word of the Lord, Colossians 4, verse 7. Some of these names are really hard to say, so... Um, Just bear with me as I read them. Colossians chapter four, verse seven says this. Tychias will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Tarchus, aristocrat sends you his greeting as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends these greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch, for you that he's, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our friend Luke, the doctor in Dima, sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that is in her house. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for many people to go away and to serve at summer camp. Thank you for the ministry of VBS. Thank you for all the different types of ministry. And Father, I thank you for the way that you gift the body of Christ. You gift people. That your desire is to use and gift people so that we can draw closer to you, ultimately so that we can become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the family of God. I thank you for the body of Christ. And Father, I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts, Lord, to the word of God as we close out this letter. I ask that you would help us to see who these people are, the significance of of what they've done in, in light of eternity, in light of what you've called us to do, Lord. Father, I thank you for the blessings of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So on one level, you could probably read through this passage and get to the end and, and see a bunch of names of that are the really hard to pronounce, at least they're hard for me to pronounce, and, and say, what's the big deal? I don't even know who these people are. They lived some 2,000 years ago. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know what they did. I'm just going to pass on. Or, or maybe you get to the end of a book, like a book of Romans or Ephesians, and you get to these places. Listen, I'm just going to pass on. I don't even read these, these texts because it just, it's a list of names and it doesn't have any relevance to me. Or, or maybe you're thinking, you know, Paul is always doing this, whether it be in the book of Romans where the last chapter, chapter 16, he mentions some 26 people, or in other places we list these names. You know, we don't really have a good understanding of who they are, and it's too much work to get into and try and figure all of these things out. Or maybe what we could do is we could look at this and examine this and try and set these names and people in the context of Colossae and the context of the church, and maybe we have an understanding that Paul is commending the people in the church for their faithfulness. All of these people have been gathered together. All of these people have been working together for a common purpose, each using their gifts, their talents, and their abilities for one thing, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to honor and glorify him. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. And that's what I think he's doing. He's going to commend the church here for all that they've done. He's going to offer greetings. And so what I want to do is this. I want to go through all these names and see if we can learn some things about this text, about the pastor and about the church. Three points of commendation that I want to pull out here. Number one, this is about kingdom building. Number two, this is a place where we're all needed. You don't sit on the sidelines in Christianity. We're all needed. And the last thing is this, we all labor together. So that's kind of where I'm going. That's what I hope to draw out on this. So let, let's just kind of begin here. First of all, I, I believe Paul commends them because we're all part of something bigger than us. We're all part of kingdom building. When we talk about kingdom building, we're not talking about our own kingdom. You know, God has a wonderful plan for my life. He wants me to be healthy and wealthy and wise. Or or maybe I've come to Christ because of some need in my life. Maybe there's a financial need. Maybe there's something else. And and, and our thought, our idea is, well, if I I embrace Jesus, if I come to him, I put my faith and my confidence in him, what he's going to do is he's going to change all the circumstances of my life, and he's going to make everything well, and I'm going to be good. So we embrace him in that manner. We kind of put our faith and our trust in him. Listen, what Paul's talking about is something bigger and deeper than that. He's talking about the fact that your life has radically been changed. You've been rescued from a place of danger in your life. You're actually headed to a place called hell, and what Jesus did through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of the Word of God, He's transformed you and taken you out of one place and placed you in another place. the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. Colossians chapter one verse 13. Listen again to what Paul said. He says, "For he has rescued us." from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This, this has the idea of being rescued, has the idea of being in danger. You know, we were, on a, we were on a direction, we were on a path, and we didn't really know, but it was a path, a direction, that's going to lead us to a place that we don't want to go. And, and what Paul is saying is, listen, you've been, you've been taken out of that. You've been rescued. You've been transferred from one kingdom, a, a kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. In other words, for you and I, there's a new orientation. In life. There's something bigger and greater in our lives, and it's called the kingdom of God. Are we listening, embracing to what God would want us to do in offering the myth of salvation to people as they go through this radical transformation from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? So so where do we see kingdom building in all of these names? Well, where do we see that here? I want to draw out some things. Look at verse 7, Tychias. Notice how he's referred to. He says this. He said, dear brother and he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant. What he's talking about is this. When you embrace Christ as your Lord, as you put your faith and your confidence, you went from one family into another family. You went from the the darkness into the family of God. And you and I are now what? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you come to the Bible, when you come to faith, there's no pecking order in the church. There's no hierarchy, if you will, of these are all the important people and these are not. As a matter of fact, when you go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, remember what Paul does? He rebukes all of the people because he said, well, listen, I'm from Paul and I'm from this person and I'm from this. And what we are doing, we are aligning ourselves with people. We are aligning ourselves with ministries. We are aligning ourselves to churches that are really doing something. And what Paul is saying, listen, you're all part of something bigger. It's called the kingdom of God. And you and I have the great privilege of being a, 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 a part of that. Notice he talks about we're ministers. Every one of us. Every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is a servant. Every one of us has been given the responsibility of taking the message, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to any piece uh, people that would come into our path. We are part of something bigger, a collective group beyond. And we saw that at camp. We saw that at camp. There were people from... So, some volunteers from, from Hope Church. There were some volunteers from Chapel of the Lake. There were volunteers from a church in Troy, uh, Moscow Mills. There was even some people from Springfield. We had a nurse from Springfield and we had a, a counselor from and a, a musician from Oregon. What? All of us coming together. Why? Because there's something bigger in our life. This guy from Oregon, he was coming in town visiting his family, visiting his brother. And his brother says, By the way, we're going to a camp. You want to come? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go because I'll go and I'll serve Jesus and I'll love Jesus and I'll love kids. And by the way, he got put with middle school kids. Middle school kids are tough at camp. Uh, Amen. Amen. (laughs) Why? Because we want to invest in the lives of young people. We want to invest in the lives of young people. And what Paul is saying, listen, you need to remind yourself that we are part of something bigger. We are part of kingdom building. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. He, he mentions Aristarchus and Mark and, and Justice, who's called Jesus. These are Jewish people. Most of the Jewish people did not embrace what... They didn't embrace the Messiah. And if they knew Paul, guess what they were doing? They were probably against Paul. They were rebelling against Paul, whether it be his teaching, whether it was... They were against Paul. And what's happening is this. He's saying... These people, these Jewish people have what? Embraced the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. It's about kingdom building. And what about this guy by the name of Onesimus in chapter 4, verse 9? What's his story? Listen, this is a story about transformation. This guy is in the city of Colossae. He runs away. Okay, I'm ticked off. Maybe he stole some money. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to run away. And where does he go to the city of Rome, thousands of miles away? And where does he end up? In a, in a city of probably one or two million people? He ends up next to Paul. We don't know exactly how this is, but somehow, way, he's connected to Paul. And Paul introduces him to Jesus Christ. What a coincidence. No. Maybe this is God's divine providence in the life of Onesimus. Maybe this is an example of how much God loves Onesimus and how faithful Paul was. You know what Paul writes about Onesimus? Listen to what he writes in Philemon, a parallel book. He says this, I'm sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart back to you. Talk about the heart of a pastor. Onesimus, He's like my heart. He's come to faith. He's come to embrace Jesus. And and what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to send him back to you. Listen, think about it. Onesimus came to know Jesus. He was now free in Jesus. He could have rationalized. He could have said to himself, listen, I'm free in Jesus. I'm free to go and do whatever I want. I'm now free. I'm running. I'm going to take off. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm free in Jesus. What does he do? He listens to the counsel, the encouragement of Paul. And what does he do? He goes back to the city of Colossae, back to Philemon, to submit himself and do what God had wanted him to do. Paul's encouragement was returned. Why? Because you are now a transformed man. You've gone from one kingdom to another kingdom. You've been transformed. You've changed on the inside. Listen, we're part of something bigger. Look at verse 12, chapter 4. What about this guy named Epaphras? He's part of the church of Colossae. He spent considerable time teaching and preaching and telling the people about Jesus and how their lives have been radically transformed. He's talking about Epaphras going to not only to Colossae but to two other cities separated by ten miles. So we see in the in, in the in the life of Epaphras, what is he? He's a traveling pastor. He's an evangelist. What is he doing? He's using his gifts, his talents, and abilities, and he's not staying in one city. He's saying, "Listen, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell Jesus about or tell people about Jesus in Laodicea, in Aeropolis, ten miles away. I'm not going to stick around here." What about that gal in verse fifteen, Nympha? Is she a male, female? I don't know. The NIV says she's a female. What has she done? Listen, if, if you guys want to start a church, you can start at my house. I, come to my house. We'll start this church. She's like Lydia in the book of Acts, using her gifts, her talents, her resources, what, for a kingdom building. I've got a house here. I've got resources. Well, will you come here and let's start, a, let's start a movement for Jesus in my house? Listen, is this a bunch of names of nobodies, of people? Or is Paul giving you and I a testimony of the commitment of the early church, the commitment of the people? Not perfect, but people whose lives were radically changed by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they have a new orientation. And what we are seeing is a picture of what kingdom building looks like, reaching out. By the way, this would be the application of what we looked at last week. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, where Paul said, "Will Will you pray that God would open a door for me to be able to speak the mystery of Christ? Let me ask you something. If every one of us began to pray that prayer on a daily basis, what do you think would happen? What do you think would happen? I think radical things would happen if you and I would begin to pray that type of prayer. Before our feet hit the ground, Lord, I'm going out there. I'm doing all of these things. I have no idea what's going to happen today. Just like God directed Onesimus to come to Paul in the city of Colossae, I have no idea. But Lord, will you open a door for me to speak the mystery of Jesus to someone? See, our lives are about kingdom building. And that's what Paul is commending to the people here. Your life is about kingdom building. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this. This is the responsibility that you and I have been given. It says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Don't miss that line. Don't miss that line. As though God were making his appeal through us. In other words, he's saying, listen, God has called you to be a representative. God has called you to be a spokesperson for him. Be reconciled to God. We implore you. He says, I beg you, be implored. Be reconciled to Christ. So, I believe what Paul is doing is he's commending the people and saying, This is what the church is all about. It's about kingdom building. Are you and I connected in our hearts and our minds? with this idea that we need to be part of building God's kingdom, not our own kingdom. I need to not be so focused on my life and reduce my life to this as opposed to looking out and saying, Lord, what, what do you have for me today? Who's out there? What need can I meet today because of the cause of Christ? So Paul commends them, number one, because of, we're part of building a kingdom. Number two, we need each other. Now, I know that this really obvious, but we'll get into that. But we need each other. So last week, I came across this illustration. There's a ninth grader named Paul Scott. He's ninth grade. He's blind. You know what he does? He's a cross-country runner. Really? How does a blind person do cross-country? How does he, how do you do that? Because there's a fourth grader, and his name is Rebel Hayes. A fourth grader by the name of Rebel Hayes has a rope. And he leads, uh, Paul Scott, he leads him by a rope so that he can um, uh, do these, these meets, he can run in these meets. A fourth grader is working hard. He says, I have to work really, really hard in order for me as a fourth grader to stay up to the standards of a ninth grader. And he's leading him by a rope. Listen. We need each other in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need to be that rope. You can't do this by yourself. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Paul couldn't even do it by himself. He knew that. He recognized it. That's why we have this list of all these names. It's an example of what it means for you and I to come together in the body of Christ and to love each other and to care for each other. Paul lists all of these people and how God used them. I could give you a list from summer camp of all the people and how God used these servants in a specific way. Listen, in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties and the hardships of life, do you have somebody to to lead you around by a rope when it's difficult, when it's dark and you can't see, you don't know where to go? The book of Ecclesiastes, we often use this text as a a wedding test. I've used it as a wedding text. Ecclesiastes 4, notice what it says. This is, this, is, this is Solomon's words, right? By the way, Solomon had everything. I mean, I mean, this guy had everything. He had more money. I mean, this guy had it all. Notice what he says. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Okay, two are better than one when it comes to the idea of labor. Verse 10, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help. Him. So if I'm going about my life and I fall, I stumble, another person is going to come alongside again he Help me get up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one stay warm alone? In other words, we, there's this idea of being out, outside and, and having the warmth of another person. I know this is a really silly example, but my dog is like a heater. I, I tell my wife that he's like a little heater. He pulls a lump sign, he's like a heater. I have to punch him out there. I don't do that. I, kind of, I gently move him over is what I do. <laughs> Because he's like a heater. That's what he's talking about here. They keep warm. And notice what he says, in verse 12, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Man, I'm, I'm fighting this by myself. And he says, no, two can help you. Listen, we need each other in life's difficulty and life challenge. You can't do this by this. By the way, why would you want to do this by yourself? I hope you don't want to do this. So as we look at this, where do we see God's people? helping each other. I mean, all I see is a bunch of hard-to-pronounce names. Let me see if I can walk through this with you and pull out some of these names and what they did and maybe how God used them. In verse 10, Paul mentions this guy by the name of Tychicus. And what is he going to do? This is what he's going to do. He's going to bring the letter that Paul's writing, the book of Colossians. He's going to leave and he's going to take that letter and he's going to go travel all the way back to Colossae with the words of Paul. And if you know anything about the the New Testament, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul uses almost the same phrase, the same verse in in chapter 4, verse 10, of this book, he's probably going to be taking the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians with him. And he's probably going to be taking the the letter to Philemon. In other words, God is entrusting him, Tychicus, with the word of God that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is going to bring to these people. And what's he going to do? Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Why am I sending Tychicus? I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that, may, that he may encourage your hearts. What's he going to do? He's going to give a report of all the things that are going on in my life, and he's going to encourage you. How does he encourage them? Here's the word of God. Paul is, is giving them the word of God. He's encouraging them by giving them the word of God. Listen, we need people in the church to give us the word of God. We need people to teach us. We need people to help us know and understand the Bible. And what a great way to encourage people is when we bring the word of God to other people. That's what Tychicus did. What about Onesimus? Was there a divine purpose in the life of Onesimus? Notice what Paul writes about Onesimus in Philemon chapter, and verse 15. Parallel book, remember parallel? Notice what he writes. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just gonna have to give it to you. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Remember, this is the runaway slave. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. What Paul is saying is, listen, Onesimus has gone through a radical transformation. Welcome him back. And by the way, if he's done anything wrong, charge it to my account. This man is no longer a slave. He is a fellow soldier in Jesus Christ. Listen, if, If Onesimus was owned by Philemon, Philemon had every right to demand justice of a runaway slave. Even to the point of having him beaten or even killed. And what is Paul saying? Listen, this guy Onesimus, he's gone through a radical change. Now welcome him back. Why? Because he's been not only a great help to me, but he will be a great help to you. Because now he's not a runaway slave. He's a brother. Talk about a radical transformation. Tychicus, Onesimus. Look at verse 10, Aristarchus. Notice how he's referred to. Aristarchus, a a fellow prisoner. What's interesting is is, this. What what crime has he committed? Well, we know what Paul had done. The Jews were bringing the the, the charges against Paul for violation of of the law and all that. But, But what has Aristarchus done? Has he actually done anything wrong? What's interesting is, is to look at him and to follow him. In Acts chapter 19, a riot breaks out in, in Ephesus. And they grab him and they grab Gaius and they rush him and they're going to bring him into the auditorium. So there's this, probably there's this thought, this threat in his life because of what's happening to Paul. So he's hanging around Paul and, and Paul is being persecuted and it's affecting him and it's affecting his relationship. This is a guy who saw all the things going on with Paul and all the things, uh, the way that he was being treated, and said, listen, I'm I'm still going to be there with you. I'm going to hang in there with you. Many Bible commentators are not sure that he was actually a prisoner other than saying, listen, Paul's in prison? Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be in prison with him. I'm going to help him. I'm going to serve him. So when you go back and look at all the things that he did, whether it be in Jerusalem, whether it be getting on a ship to come to Rome, where's he at? With Paul. Paul, where are you going? I'm going with you. you going over here, Paul. I'm going with you. I'm going to be your servant. If you're in prison, I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to help you. I'm going to serve you. That's who this guy is. He is giving his life, and he's called a fellow prisoner. It means this. A fellow prisoner means one who is caught in a spear. And all the trials and tribulations of life for Paul, he's got this guy by the name Aristarchus right next to him, and what is he doing? I'm not leaving your side. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to go with you. What do you need? How can I help you? is that beautiful? The kind of reorients his life. I realize we read this and go, "Well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You can attach yourself to someone. You can attach yourself to a, a cause. You can attach yourself and say, you know what? How can I help you grow and mature in your faith? How can I invest in your life? How can I support you? How can I build you? What is it that you need? I'm going to stand by his side. Look at verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who's called justice. Notice what it said. Proved to be what? A comfort. Isn't that what comfort means? It's a soothing balm. These guys are a soothing balm in my life. What's interesting is that word was, was used at times on the tombstones of people. And they would use that word to remind those who would come by and see the tombstone that that there's a greater comfort in life than something else, that we can find a greater comfort knowing that these people are at peace in heaven. Think of all the physical suffering of Paul. Did he suffer physically? You bet he did. And so what are these guys? They're a soothing balm. They're a comfort to Paul in all those trials and tribulations and travels. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Proverbs says this, an anxious heart Weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus, who is called justice, provided peace and comfort to Paul. By the way, who's that other guy mentioned there? Verse 14. Our dear friend, friend, what, Luke, the what? Doctor? Hmm. If you're constantly getting beaten with lashes and rods... Wouldn't you want somebody to come alongside of you to help? And what does God do? God provides Luke the doctor, the physician, to be that soothing, healing balm in the life of Paul. One guy made the comment, he says, when you look at the first missionary journey, Paul was sick all the time. And the second missionary journey, guess who's with him? Luke. Wow. How cool is that? Luke, you've got a specialized talent. And what does Luke do? He, he totally reorients his life. A doctor reorienting his life to follow Paul. And Paul gets to the end of his life, 2 Timothy. He's getting ready to die. He knows the time of my departure is here. And in 2 Timothy, listen to what he writes. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. The end of his life. And who's with him? Luke. Luke, isn't that cool? He saying, listen, I'm going to stick with you. Into your life, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. I'm going to be that soothing balm. I'm going to be that healing balm in your life. And by the way, how does God use Luke? Ding, 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 ding. Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. A third of the Bible comes from this guy. Luke the physician, a historian who gives us the reality of life, death, burial, and resurrection. God uses him not only in the life of Paul, but now he's using us in the history of the church to remind us of what happened thousands of years ago. See how God is using these people? One last name. What about Mark? Remember him? What's he called? The deserter? Life's going well in the book of Acts. They're ministering, they're serving well. Acts chapter 13, they're doing well. And they get to where they're going to go to a hard place. And the text says in Acts chapter 13 that, that Mark goes to Jerusalem. He kind of leaves what's going on. And then in, in Acts chapter 15, the, the, Barnabas wants Mark to go along. Mark is wanting to go along with Paul. And remember what Paul says? They had a really sharp disagreement. No, no, he's not going with us. Think about it. How would you feel if you were Mark? How would you feel? Wait a minute, Paul. Come on, let me go. Really, I'm, I'm a changed person. I'm not, that, I'm not the same guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not a deserter. It's in the text, it says, Acts chapter 15, says, they had a sharp disagreement. This is a, this is a serious problem here. Paul says, we're not, you're not going with us. So what do they do? And for the cause of Christ, they separate they go in entirely different directions. Mark had a reputation of what? Being a deserter in the church. So why in the world, in our text, is Paul saying of, of Mark, welcome him, welcome him? What in the world is going on? Wait a minute, he was a deserter. You can't go with us. And now he's saying, welcome him? What has happened over the period of time? I think it's because of this. I don't know specifically, but I think it's because of this. Listen, God does not give up on people. God doesn't give up on people. You may blow it. You may mess up. God does not give up on people. And so what do we need? When we go through difficulties, when we go to challenges, what do we need? We need another person to come alongside, give us that rope, and pull us alongside. So what happened to Mark? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 13, notice what Peter writes. Notice what he writes. He's writing to people who've been scattered for their faith, right? Notice what he writes. She who was in Babylon, chosen together, sends you her greetings. And so does what? My son Mark. Hmm. I wonder if somehow, some way, God grabbed a hold of Peter and said, I want to get a hold of this guy anymore. And Mark, will you do me a favor? I know what it's like to blow it. I know what it's like to run. I know what it's like to fail. Will you come alongside of me? And let's rebuild together. Let's walk together. Let's help each other. And so does my son, Mark. How cool to think that God possibly could be using the failures of Peter to come alongside a guy by the name of Mark and get him moving back in the right direction, restoring him after what he had done. Don't forget about Mark. It's what Paul writes. So let me just jump ahead. Paul is getting ready to die. He's written 2 Timothy. He's writing 2 Timothy. And listen to how he describes Mark. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11 says this only Lucas with me get Mark and bring him with you why because he is helpful in me in the ministry Isn't that awesome they were separated he was a deserter and here they are at the end and what does Paul say bring Mark because he's helpful in the ministry And maybe what God did was maybe God used this guy by the name of Peter to come alongside of him, to teach him, to disciple him, to pour his life back into him so he can be used mightily of God. And by the way, what did Mark write? The Gospel of Mark. How incredibly cool is that? This deserter by the name of Mark, God uses to... Bring us the Word of God. A lot of people think this is one of the first Gospels that were written. Mark, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is. So we talked about our lives. Paul is commending them because our lives are about kingdom building. Second thing, he says, listen, you guys are you're all needed. And what I tried to draw to this, the unique personalities, the unique gifts, Unique experiences of each individual person. God uses all of that for his honor and glory in the body of Christ to allow us to come alongside and help other people. That's what he's talking about. So your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your experiences, your failures, all of that God can use to bring what? Beauty from ashes. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. And we need each other. By the way, he mentions a guy by the name of Demas in here. Later we're gonna find out, guess what Demas did? He walked away. Demas walked away. Why? Because he, he loved the things of these worlds more than he loved all this other stuff. It's probably a warning to some of us. You love the things of the world, or are you embracing following Jesus for who he is? And the last thing, and I'm not gonna reveal this, but we labor together. You go back and look at this, these people labor. They work hard together, they minister, they start listen, going to camp is not an easy thing to do. Man, 10 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. And these guys are just getting wound up. You know, like, woo! I'm like, no, I'm tired. These cooks, cooks get up, man, they're in a hot kitchen all day. Laboring for the Lord is really hard because many of us work full time jobs and then we serve on the outside. Listen, ministry's hard, but we're needed and you are needed. We are all needed in the family of God. So, my question to you is this How are you using your gifts, your talents, and abilities in the family of God? Are you grabbing onto people? Are you recognizing that that our lives are part of something bigger in the kingdom building? Are we going to continue to pray, Lord, I pray that today you would bring somebody in my life that they would know Jesus, they would come to embrace Jesus. That's a big prayer. It's an important prayer that we all need to be part of, we all need to be like, and we all labor together to do that. So I don't know how this affects you. This is really cool for me, just simply to look at a bunch of names and go, I want to be like that. I want to be the guy that prays. He says, listen, they're wrestling in prayer for you. Wrestling in prayer, really. You know, we have people on Wednesday night that wrestle in prayer for you. Every Wednesday night, they're faithful to pray for you. You know that? You put a request in, they're they're faithful to pray for it. They're wrestling in prayer for it so that we might fully understand the will of God and be mature in our faith. That's good stuff. And God uses all of us. Lord, I'm just in awe of this letter and the ending of this letter and how Paul commends the people for their faith, for their love for all the saints. And, Father, I am grateful for the people of Hope Church, not just for VBS, and, but not just for a good week of camp. I, I am grateful for every person that who comes here. And, Father, I pray that we would bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Father, that we would minister and serve because we love you, we care for you. Father, I pray that you would give us a kingdom orientation that our eyes and our hearts would be open to those around us. Father, I pray that you would direct people into our eyes so that we can speak the very mystery of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would open doors for us as a church and as a community to speak and to serve the message of Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for my friends in Jesus' name. Amen.